Hey everyone, it's Brian again from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. It's good to talk to you again. The talk that you're about to hear is given as a part of our Sunday evening service at Mount Hope in Belmont. As you may know, our location in Belmont meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. And once a month in our Sunday evening service, we invite a special guest to come and join us. This talk you're about to hear was given by Carla Driscoll, the Executive Director of the Hollister Institute in Boston. Carla is a professional leadership coach, and she brought some of the principles that she uses in her everyday work to us. I think you'll find this very valuable. Hope you enjoy. Carla's going to come in just one moment. But before we get there, we've invited someone uh, who's a part of Mount Hope Church in our Burlington location to come and to share a little bit of their own story. You know, the mindset we have when we do things, the way we think about things, uh, it can make a big difference in what we do with our life, what we do with our time, what we're able to accomplish. And so there's someone that, uh, that has a pretty good story, I think about what just a small change in thinking uh, has done uh, in their life. And so Priscilla Johnson is going to come and share a little bit of her story. Would you welcome Priscilla as she comes this evening? Thank you, Pastor Brian. Good afternoon. Good evening, everyone. Praise God. Um, my name is Priscilla. I just want to talk a bit of my history. I came from Uganda. I was a high school dropout, and I didn't know that I would ever be what I am now. When I came to this country, I started working as a burger in a store called Ames. I think you all know <laughs> But then um, there were cashiers, and I was working in that store. Um, the friends of mine said, you can't be a cashier. I said, oh, I think I can. I can't do it because of the money is different from that of Uganda. So they were like, oh, no, you can't do it. I said, I can. So I asked one of the cashier, can I do it? And then she said, yeah, sure, I'll train you. So when they trained me, everybody who was seeing me at the people from my country were like, how did you know all that money? How did you know how to do that? Then I went from there. I went to be, to, to be a CNA. Uh, in the nursing home, and I worked there. And as I was working as a CNA, I used to see these nurses, and I was like, I want to be a nurse. I think I can be a nurse. And then people from my said, no, you cannot be a nurse. You have children. You have this. All the bad things they were saying, that you cannot be one of those. I said, sure, I can. So one of the nurses, I took her side. I said, Nanette, I want to be a nurse. She said, sure you do? I said, yes, I do. So she showed me the way to go. She told me, go to community uh, Middlesex Community College, you do GED for free, and everything. From there, you're going to see, you're going to succeed. You're going to be a nurse. So I went to Middlesex. I did GED again. I passed it. And then I went from there. I became an RN uh, from being <laughs> just because I believed in myself. I said, I can do it. Whatever somebody told me you couldn't, I said, I can't. So that was a big thing. So as I went on, I was living in an apartment from apartment. But then one time, a friend of mine who has been a friend forever, she, she told me, Priscilla, there's a, I was saying, oh my God, I'm tired of living here. The, the rent is high. And she said, there's a house. 
There's a house um, Mr. King has left. You can start from there, Priscilla. You can, from there, you get a house. I said, okay. I'm in Mount Hope, and I went to Mount Hope Street. I said, oh, I better be a hopper. If, <laughs> and even I like the way Pastor, um, Pastor Ricky says, hi, Mount Hoppers. So if you don't take that message, you have to be hopeful every time when you are in Mount Hope. I love Mount Hope. So, <laughs> so from there... I, I started um, my journey, and with these friends of mine, the David Stubbins and Alan, I've been going to their classes all the time and thinking of the opportunities all the time. They invited me. I've been going to those classes, and I was like, oh, I want to buy a house. I told Alan, I have to buy a house this year. I said, okay, start putting money together. So I did the math with uh, all the time asking Mr. Stubbins, now this is this. What am I going to do? Sure, if you have it, you can do it. <laughs> so I went for a house after going through all this stuff, but I was able to get at my house, which I wanted. And all the time, I wanted a big house. <laughs> and that's what God gave me. So I'm so um, happy to share this moment with you that with God, everything is possible. This is my... Um, my thing, which I use every time, even in school all the time on my papers, I use, with God, everything is possible. Think positive in everything. God bless you. Thank you, Priscilla. Yeah. No. I love that story, don't you? It's a good story. How many of you in your life, I know I've done this too, you feel like you have an idea, something that you want to accomplish, and you say it to somebody, I want to get this done. And they say back to you, you can't do that. And you say, yeah, you're right, I can't. Uh, that the ability to look at that and say, no, 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 I can do this is an important one, right? And so tonight we're going to talk a little bit about overcoming limiting beliefs. And Carla Driscoll is here with us. I'm very glad that she is. Carla is the executive director of the Hollister Institute in downtown Boston. She's a business coach and trainer around communication, accountability, conflict resolution, mindfulness, and leadership. Uh, she is highly sought after in Boston, and we get to listen to her for free tonight, which is a great benefit. Would you please welcome Carla as she comes this evening? Now, whoa, what a difference. <laughs> and I really want to acknowledge Brian and Lori for their vision to do this because it is critical that we have practical skills so that we can make a difference in our world. And I also want to acknowledge Alana and her vision and what she's doing with the women at Mount Hope. What I, I just recently moved here two and a half years ago from Oklahoma. And I know Brian and Lori can relate that whenever you move from Oklahoma to Boston, it's not like you're moving across, halfway across the nation. It's like you're moving to another planet <laughs> to go from here where people talk faster than they think in Oklahoma and to try and navigate the traffic. I mean, it was at least two years before I felt even comfortable driving. I live in Walpole, down to downtown Boston, because, I mean, we don't have that kind of traffic in Oklahoma. And I have people ask me regularly, why did you move here? And I'd lived in Oklahoma for 50 years. I'd traveled a lot, but all of our family was in Oklahoma. And I'd only lived out of the state one other time when my husband was going for one of his masters. We lived for a short amount of time in Missouri. And that's not that different from Oklahoma. <laughs> 
But the reason that I moved was because I felt compelled that by joining with Kip Hollister, the owner of Hollister Institute, I could have an opportunity to share the principles I'm going to share with you tonight with a wider audience. Because these principles have changed my life. Now, I loved hearing Priscilla talk. In fact, after she spoke, I thought I could sit down. She's a perfect example of what I'm going to talk about, that whenever you set your mind on something and you believe it and you take action, you can make a difference in your life. And I am a living example of that. But I had to overcome some incredibly limiting beliefs. And I'm going to talk with you tonight about principles that helped me. And I'm not unique or special. If they helped me and you put them to practice, they can make a difference in your life as well. Just a little bit of my background. I met and married my husband almost 32 years ago. It'll be 32 years in December. Yeah, I married him because he was handsome. And the joke is I didn't care that he was broke because I thought love could pay the bills. (laughs) But after 17 years of marriage and four kids, we realized love couldn't pay the bills anymore. We had to come up with something else to do. So I started my own business in 2004. And I had been out of the workplace. I worked alongside my husband in nonprofit for years. But I hadn't been in the workplace. I drove a 17-year-old conversion van. Do you guys even know what those look like? It was dented. I lived on a dirt road, and I had to leave my house every day and get people to believe in what I was doing and join me in my business. And I didn't have anything to go on other than my belief and other than my vision. And so I would drive up to businesses in this 17-year-old van. I didn't even have a cell phone until I started this business. I was a stay-at-home mom that homeschooled my kids. But I realized that something had to change. And one of the things I tell people that I coach is that when the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of change, you'll change. So if you're sitting there tonight and you feel frustrated by your current circumstances, until you feel frustrated enough that you're willing to do something differently, then you're going to just stay frustrated and you're going to stay complaining to everyone about how frustrated you are. The biggest thing that you can do tonight to move yourself from where you are to where you want to be is to change your mindset. And so, maybe, there we go. Nope, here we go. So our thoughts create our reality. 80% of success is directly due to our psychology. Only 20% is how-to. A perfect example, this time of year, the gyms are flooded with people who want to lose weight. I promise you, by the end of March, they're going to be back down to the two or three faithfuls. Now, we all know what it takes to lose weight. You eat less and you exercise more. If we all know that, then why don't we do it? It's because our psychology is off. It's not aligned with our actions. And our thoughts create our reality. What you think about, you bring about. And Solomon wrote this years ago, that as a man or woman thinks in his heart, so is he or she. 
So what we have in our current environment, our current circumstances, is all directly related to how we've thought about our current circumstances. So I want to ask you, what is your current reality? How do you talk about your current situation? Do you spend time complaining and thinking about everything you can't do rather than focusing on what you can do? I loved Priscilla's story. Everybody was telling her, you can't be a cashier. You don't understand American money. And she said, yes, I can. I think I can do that. How many of us look at everything we can't do and then we're paralyzed and we do nothing? And that's because our thoughts live in our subconscious and they create beliefs. Only 10 to 15% of what we think about is on a conscious level. The rest of the time we're on automatic. How many of you have driven to the grocery store and ended up in the parking lot and you didn't even know how you got there? You don't rem- Am I the only one that does that? <laughs> yeah, you do that in Boston, and in Boston, just like in Oklahoma. That's because you're on automatic. What happens is that we have belief systems that we turn into limiting beliefs in our subconscious, and that creates our current reality. That's because we link events that have happened in our life And we make up a story about those events, and then we live out of that reality. So a perfect example of that, I am clearly not doing these slides right. Okay, can you, there we go. This is an equation. I'm not great at math, but anybody can work this equation. Oh, I don't have a pen up here. It's on the side. Okay, oh, perfect. Okay, great. So this is an equation that can work for anyone at any time, regardless of what your circumstances. And this is how it works. If you have a piece of paper, I'm going to invite you to do this exercise with me. We all have events that we have some interpretation about that creates our reality. I'm going to give you a couple of events from my own life. So the event in my life that I could interpret Either way, the event is neutral. So one of the events is that I was from dysfunction. (laughs) I grew up in an emotionally, verbally, spiritually, and sexually abusive home. Now because of that event, I could interpret that and say, I'll never amount to anything. And if I lived out of that story, the result in the story, then I would be at home in Oklahoma doing nothing (laughs) if I lived out of this interpretation of the event. Another event that happened in my life is that I didn't graduate from a great college. Now, I could look at that and interpret that, that I'll never be successful. So think about Priscilla. 
What if Priscilla had said, I don't even have my high school degree. I can't ever be a nurse. Then she would create a story or her reality around that interpretation, and she would still be a cashier at a store right now. She wouldn't be a nurse, a registered nurse. Another event that happened in my life is that I had a business partner that left the business and took 50% of my business with them in 2008. Now, those of you in business, that's quite a hit. So if I, I could have interpreted that as I'll never recover. And then my story or my reality would have been that I probably would have given up and I would still be living in Oklahoma on a dirt road with a 17-year-old conversion van. I would not be in Boston today talking to you. And that's because we all want to be right about our stories. We would rather be right about our stories than successful. So if you think back to the subconscious, that our belief system is hardwired in our brain, in the neuropathways of our brain, and we want to be right about those stories. So we will go out and we will self-sabotage around wanting to be right. A great example of that is if you think of someone, I'm sure it's no one in this room, but maybe you know someone outside of this room, that constantly gets in bad relationships after bad relationships after bad relationships, and then they say, you just can't, I just can't trust anyone. Everyone always betrays me. Now, that's not really the facts. That's just their story, their reality, that they've attached belief systems to over events that happened in their life. So what I encourage the people that I coach and that I work with is that if we are going to make up stories, and we all make up stories, why not make up stories that serve us, that we can be right about? So if you take the exact same events, and I'm going to put this back here. Oh, it doesn't stick. Okay, I'll put this right here. So if you have the exact same events, interpretation equals story or your results. So my, my same event, I had dysfunction. That didn't change. But my old story allows me to not be accountable for creating results. Because if I'm living out of, I'll never amount to anything, then I don't have to take any risks. And I don't have to get out of my comfort zone to try and make a change. But if I make up a new story that I'm stronger now, and I can help more people, That story is going to empower me to go out and create a different reality. The same story that I didn't graduate from a great college. Now, my old story would allow me to not be accountable and play life small. 
and think, tell myself all the time, I'm not as smart as somebody else. I don't have as much on the ball as somebody else. But my new story that, and Priscilla said it herself, I can do all things through Christ. And if you're not a believer, research shows that whatever we think about and put our mind to, even with the potato, we are capable of far more than we ever think we can do, beyond anything we can even imagine. I just believe as Christians we have an edge because we have an added advantage. And then my third event, my business partners left. The story I started to make up for myself then was that this is creating a new space of opportunity. And it did, because I hired a business coach during that time, and that business coach lived in Boston. And that's how I ended up in Boston, was through connections. I wouldn't even be here today if I hadn't reached out and decided, I'm not going to let this event define me. But that's what we do so many times, is we let our interpretation of events define us limit us, keep us playing a small game so that we don't have to make an impact. Now, what I have to tell you is that these new stories didn't just happen overnight. It was a little uncomfortable beginning to adopt the new stories into my life. I had to tell myself that over and over and create new neural pathways because our old belief systems have created pathways that are like super highways and we can automatically go down that negative path. It's easy to go down the negative path. It takes discipline and intention to get our focus back on the right path. And an illustration I like to use is that when I was flying from Oklahoma to Boston, I was shocked to find out that 90% of the time, the pilot was using his instruments to get back on course. But what we can do in our life is recognize that whenever we get off course with our old thinking and our old stories and our old belief systems, the more we practice that new story, the more quickly we can get on, on course to make a difference. And that's because it takes discipline to capture our thoughts and exchange it with a new thought. But over time, if you really are tired of the reality you're currently creating, over time you can create a new reality for yourself based on the thoughts that create beliefs, that empower our actions, that create our realities. But it's all up to you. You are accountable for the thoughts that you allow to define your life. Pastor Brian said that part of the training I do is an accountability. And I've got to tell you, the average person doesn't like accountability. And I tell people that's probably why they're average. Because they don't want to be accountable. But it can also be very empowering when we really recognize that I can make a difference and be accountable for the results I'm creating in my own life. I don't have to be a victim. 
I can change my belief systems and create new habits and new behaviors out of new belief systems that will make a difference. I like the author Brendan Burchard. Have any of you read Brendan Burchard? He's written a book called The Millionaire's Message, and he says in that book that at the end of our life, we will ask ourselves three questions. We'll ask ourselves, did I live, did I love, and did I matter? And if we allow limiting beliefs to control our lives, we're not going to be able to answer yes to those questions. We're going to end up with regret rather than living our fullest potential and a life of contribution. So what I want to encourage you tonight is to make a decision about what you will believe. This, this is smarter than I am. There you go. What will you believe? If you're a Christian, will you believe what God's word says about who you are and what you're capable of? Or will you continue to live out of a limiting belief that's going to lead you to a life of regret? Thank you for the opportunity, and I'm open for questions and answers. Carla did a great job of introducing a topic to us tonight, and we appreciate that. But we have time for you to ask some questions. If you'd like to get into a little bit more specifics of what Carla is talking about, the things that she is bringing up, uh, what are some of the questions that you have based on what Carla is talking about tonight? Overcoming limiting beliefs. What are some of the questions that you have? Yeah, yeah Therese. Therese. You work with executives. Yes. So what's the, what's the biggest limiting belief that someone in an executive position I would say it doesn't matter anyone's position the biggest limiting belief of everyone that I work with is that I don't have what it takes. I'm a fraud. And so I believe that we all feel that at different levels, regardless of our station in life. And the executives I work with feel that too, that I'm not up to the task. What if I can't do what my vision is and make that a reality? What will I make that mean about me? And so as I coach executives, I work with them around the cost-benefit of attaching their significance to taking the action, not the result of the action, because it takes courage to take the action, and then to self-direct so or self-adjust. If that doesn't work, and you're really committed to what you say you want to create in your life, then how quickly can you develop resilience to get back on path, back on track, and take another action? Yeah, I think for me, that's a question that I have is how do you d- develop that resilience? If you've tried things in the past and they just haven't worked um, and, and you've tried again a different way and it hasn't worked, how do you develop the resilience to keep going? I think mm-hmm. we've, you know, I, I've heard like the Abraham Lincoln story, how many times he failed before he came pre- became president, right? But how, how do you develop that resilience in order to keep going and keep trying when it just looks like it's, something's not going to happen? It's really about commitment. So whenever I talk with people, the definition I use for commitment is that commitment creates the framework for anything to happen. So if you are not 100% committed, then you're not going to get back up on the horse, if you will, and keep trying. So people that waver in their execution really waver in their commitment. 
So I ask people to back up. And often I will ask people to convince me why they're committed to what they're committed to. What's at stake for you? So with my business, because in 2004, you know, I was up a lot against a lot of naysayers like Priscilla. A lot different for a lot different reasons. But I had people saying things to me like, oh, Carla, I know people that have tried that and it never worked. And what makes you think you're any different than anybody else? And I knew that my reason, my, well, Ron and I both, I mean, I had the business, but it was both of us working together. <laughs> if that didn't work, we weren't going to have groceries and braces for our kids. So it wasn't about just this was a good idea. We were committed. This was our opportunity. So that gave us the courage to keep going, even amidst all the dream stealers and the naysayers. And I remember whenever I got to a certain level and I was able to trade in my, my, uh, my conversion van for a Mercedes. And so we drove up to the dealership and all my kids, all four of my kids were hanging out the window and of our conversion van. And my joke is that I could just hear somebody the salespeople call in the back office and saying, we've got some real rednecks on the lot. <laughs> Can you get them off of here? But I thought, you know, we decided we were going to do this, and we did it. And Ron even joked with me at one time, and he said, babe, we're not Mercedes people. And I said, speak for yourself. <laughs> I am, and you can get on my train and learn to be. So I think it was just out of commitment, Brian, um, and also commitment to make a contribution. It wasn't just about um, money just for groceries. After a certain point, it's really about how can I contribute at a higher level? Because at the end of the day, there's a lot of ways to make money. It's really about how can I make a difference? So that's what I encourage people. When they want to give up, I say, you know, how committed are you to making a difference and to fulfilling? Does the Mercedes dealership take conversion vans on trade? They, do, they did not. They did we not? gave our van no. away. <laughs> <laughs> What's another question that you have? Yeah, Dave. Change that mindset. To, yeah, to change from the superhighway of your mind of the, the, the negativity and replace it with the, the, the new, uh, better interpretation. Yeah. Well, I can tell you what I did, and I think there are several ways. So I am a huge proponent of affirmations. So I say affirmations every single day. And whenever I was living on a dirt road... <laughs> I would walk up and down that dirt road and say, I am a business builder magnet. Every day, I'm attracting people that want to do business with me. And sometimes I felt like such a fraud. I'm like, you're working on a dirt road. You drive a 17-year-old conversion van. And I would just be like, erase. I'm a business builder magnet. And I would also say, you know, I can do all things through Christ. I had a page of affirmations that I would say every single day. I had 
affirmations all over my house, written on my mirror. I had a dream board, and I still have a dream board, that I had pictures because our mind thinks in pictures. And so I had that. I had my kids make dream boards of whenever we get extra income, what do you want to do? And then I was very careful about what I said because what I speak, my conversation reveals my my expectation. So I was very careful about the words I spoke and who I spoke to. So I guarded my thoughts. I guarded my my words. I guarded my associations. I didn't allow anyone in my space that was going to discourage me from my vision. And then I also was very, I spent a lot of time, and I still spend a lot of time, watching YouTube videos, reading things that were going to strengthen my belief system and strengthen my mind. Because it's not an overnight. I mean, I was 40 whenever I started my business, maybe 38. Anyway, close to 40 years of negative belief systems. Those don't change overnight. But out of commitment, I was willing to do what it took to change those belief systems. Thanks, David. One more question. Well, has a question for Carla. David? Yeah. Pain. Yeah, so I encourage people that I coach to think of your life in five years. Is the path you're headed on now going to take you where you want to be in five years? Because successful people don't think about today only. They think about how my actions, my choices, my belief systems today are moving me in a direction. And I can either be intentional about that direction or it's going to take me there by default. And so if someone can't even stir up enough pain in five years to make a shift, then they really don't want to change. And so once again, the onus is on them to find a way to leverage themselves into discomfort because that's what it takes is getting uncomfortable to make a, a change in your life. It was uncomfortable for me to walk up and down a dirt road saying I'm a business builder magnet. It was uncomfortable for me to change my associations. And the final thing I would say is that I think mentorship and coaching is um, invaluable. So I've always had mentors, and I think it's critical to find a mentor to get you back on track. One last visual is that um, we don't have kingpin bowling in Oklahoma. Is that what it's called here? Okay, whatever, candle pen. We don't, I don't bowl either way, so whatever it's called, it doesn't matter. But um, if I do bowl, it's always with the bumpers up close to keep me out of the gutter because I want to I, I make a strike. So I want those bumpers as close to that bowling ball as they can get. 
And that's what mentorship does for you. It's like having bumpers that keep you on track and keep you from getting off in the gutter. So I had a, I've had several business coaches, but one of my business coaches who was huge on accountability, I um, told him I wanted to reach a certain level in my business, and we came up with a game plan of what I was going to do, and he lived in Tulsa, and I would drive once a week, an hour, to meet with him. And so we made out a game plan of what I was going to do that week, and the businesses I was going to go talk with about my business. Well, I got nervous, and I didn't want to go talk to those businesses. And so I came up with another plan that I felt more comfortable with. So whenever I got to Keith's, Keith said, so how'd it go talking to those businesses? And I was like, well, I didn't really talk to the businesses, but I talked to these people. He goes, well, that, that isn't really what we agreed on. I'm like, well, so? I mean, I talked to 40 people. That's pretty big. He's like, I know, but that's not what we agreed on. You didn't do it because you felt uncomfortable. So I want to get you comfortable feeling uncomfortable. I'm like, what what are we going to do? He goes, do you want want to be successful? Do you want me to continue coaching you? It's like, yes. It's like, then you're going to do what I tell you to do. So we walked out downtown Tulsa. Of course, it's not downtown Boston, but it was still way out of comfort. So he said, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to go up. There were some people at getting ready to cross, um, cross the street. And he said, I want you to go up and ask them for something uncomfortable, like, can you have a drink of their pop? I'm like, I am not doing that. He's like, do you want to be successful or not? I'm like, okay. So I walked up and I said, hi, can I have a drink of your pop? They're like, no, weirdo. And so I came back, I'm like, good, are we done? He's like, no, we are not done. So we walked around and there was a restaurant and there were people outside of the restaurant who just had lunch. He said, go up and ask them something uncomfortable. So I walked up and I said, how was lunch? And he's looking at me like, and I said, it was fine. I go, would you buy me lunch? (laughs) No. So I'm like, "Ah." he goes, you're still not done. So we walked around the corner and there was um, a hotel in downtown Tulsa. It was a nice hotel. He said, I want you to walk in and ask them if they'll give you a room for free. I said, I am not doing that. He's like, you don't want to be successful then. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So I walked in, and I said, hi, are you, do you guys have any specials going today? They're like, what kind of specials? I'm like, I don't know, free? <laughs> he said, no. So we left, and he goes, the, um, there, then we met a woman walking towards us. He said, I want you to ask that woman for some money. I'm like, I do not want to do that. But I walked up, and I said, hi, I, I, I left my purse in my office, and I'm just wondering, like, can you loan me some money? And she's like, I I don't have any cash on me right now. So we walked around. There was another restaurant. It was a Mexican food restaurant, and it had plated glass windows. And Keith said, I want you to walk in there and ask them for some chips off their table, and I want you to ask them to bring me some chips, too. And he's standing at the window. So I walked in. I said, hi, I'm in this little contest. And so can I have some of your chips? And they said, sure. And I said, and can I take some to my friend? And they were like, well, no. So I walked out. I'm like, can we please be done? He goes, one more ask. And if it's a good ask, then we'll be done. You will have learned your lesson. To, first of all, not tell me you're going to do something and not do it. 
because you're not comfortable. So there were two workers walking down the street, construction workers, and they had Subway sandwich bags. So I walked up to him. I said, hi, can I have one of your sandwiches? <laughs> and one of the guys kind of looked me up and down. He's like, yes, you can. I'm like, I don't, I, no, I'm really on a diet. And so anyway, we got back to Keith's office, and I learned a few lessons from that. First of all, a coach is uncomfortable with your comfort, so they're going to constantly be pushing you out of comfort because they know that discomfort is linked to your potential. The other thing I learned was that accountability is important across the board. And if you're not willing to hold yourself accountable to what you say you're going to do, then you better get a coach or a mentor that cares enough about you that they will hold you accountable. And the third lesson was I was never going to tell Keith I would do something and not fulfill on it. But it really, that was a great lesson for me about being uncomfortable and about being committed to my greatness. Did I see one more hand over there quickly? No? Okay. I'm not sure I like Keith. I just heard that story. I don't know if I like Keith or not, but I'm sure Keith does a great job. Can we thank Carla one more time? Carla, thank you so much.